Hello and welcome back to the Dreamy Mind podcast. This is the podcast that helps you fall asleep by guiding you through meditations, sleep stories, and by allowing you to drift off to beautiful sounds. Tonight we're going to tune into our breath before listening to a bedtime story. So, wherever you are, however you're feeling, tune into the present moment. Be here now. Anything that's going on in your life or whatever happened to you during the day, It's not really relevant right now. This is a space that you're giving yourself to relax and take some moments for yourself. Take a moment to appreciate that you chose to come here today. You chose to take care of yourself and try to feel some calmness before falling asleep tonight. Let's take a couple deep breaths together before we get into our bedtime story. So let's inhale, hold it for a moment and exhale that exhale longer than normal again inhale long exhale more inhale and long exhale Good. Now, as you make yourself comfortable and prepare for bed, know that you can always come back to your breath when you feel distracted or lost. So make sure that the space is dark, make sure that the temperature is right, and that your body is comfortable so you can fully relax. Relax your jaw, relax your face, see if you can feel a warm sense of release throughout your entire body as you let go. Okay, so now that you're comfortable, let's get into tonight's story. This is the story of Anne of Green Gables by Lucy Maud Montgomery. Chapter 1 Mrs. Rachel Lynde is Surprised Mrs. Rachel Lynde lived just where Avalie Main Road dipped down into a little hollow, fringed with altars and ladies' eardrops, and traversed by a brook 
that had its source way back in the woods of the old Cutbird place. It was reputed to be an intricate headlock brook in its earlier course through the woods, with dark secrets of pools and cascades, but by the time it reached Lynn's Hollow, it was a quiet, well-conducted little stream not even a brook could run past Mrs. Rachel Lynn's door without due regard for decency and decorum. It probably was conscious that Mrs. Rachel was sitting at her window, keeping a sharp eye on everything that passed, from brooks and children up, and that if she noticed anything odd or out of place, She would never rest until she had fretted out the whys and the wherefores thereof. There are plenty of people in Avalie, and out of it, who can attend closely to their neighbor's business by dint of neglecting their own. But Mrs. Rachel Lynde was one of those capable creatures who had managed their own concerns and those of other folk in the bargain. She was a notable housewife. Her work was always done and well done. She ran the sewing circle, helped run the Sunday school, and was the strongest prop of the church aid and foreign missionary auxiliary. Yet, with all this, Mrs. Rachel found abundant time to sit for hours in her kitchen window, knitting cotton wrap quilts. She had knitted 16 of them, as Avonlea housekeepers were wont to tell in awe voices, and keeping a sharp eye on the main road that crossed the hollow and wound up the steep red hill beyond. Since Avonlea occupied a little triangular peninsula jutting out into the Gulf of St. Lawrence with water on both sides of it, anybody who went out of it or into it had to pass over that hill road and so run the unseen gauntlet of Mrs. Rachel's all-seeing eye. She was sitting there one afternoon in early June. The sun was coming in, and at the window it was warm and bright. The orchard on the slope below the house was in a bridal flush of pink-white bloom, hummed over by a myriad of bees. Thomas Lind, a meek little man whom Avalie people called Rachel Lind's husband, was sowing his late turnip seed on the hill field beyond the barn and Matthew Cuthbert ought to have been sowing his on the big red brook field away over by Green Gables. 
Mrs. Rachel knew that he ought, because she had heard him tell Peter Morrison the evening before in William J. Blair's store over at Carmody that he meant to sow his turnip seed the next afternoon. Peter had asked him, of course, for Matthew Cuppert had never been known to volunteer information about anything in his whole life. And yet here was Matthew Cuthbert at half past three on the afternoon of a busy day, placidly driving over the hollow and up the hill. Moreover, he wore a white collar and his best suit of clothes, which was plain proof that he was going out of Avalie. And he had the buggy and the sorrel mare, which betokened that he was going a considerable distance. Now, where was Matthew Cuthbert going, and why was he going there? Had it been any other man in Abilene, Mrs. Rachel deftly put this and that together might have given a pretty good guess as to both of those questions. But Matthew so rarely went from home that it must be something pressing and unusual which was taking him. He was the shyest man alive and hated to go among strangers or to any place where he might have to talk. Matthew, dressed up with a white collar and driving in a buggy, was something that didn't happen often. Mrs. Rachel, ponder as she might, could make nothing of it, and her afternoon's enjoyment was spoiled. I'll just step over to Green Gables after tea and find out from Marilla where he's gone and why, the worthy woman finally concluded. He doesn't generally go to town this time of year, and he never visits. If he'd run out of the turnip seeds, he wouldn't dress up and take the buggy to go for more. He wasn't driving fast enough to be going to the doctor. Yet something must have puzzled him since last night to start him off. I'm clean puzzled, that's what, and I won't know a minute's peace of mind or conscience until I know what has taken Matthew Cuthbert out of Abilie today. Accordingly, after tea, Mrs. Rachel set out. She had not far to go. The big rambling orchard empowered house where the Cutberts lived was a scant quarter of a mile up the road from Lynn's Hollow. To be sure, the long lane made it a good deal further. Matthew Cutbert's father, as shy and silent as his son after him, 
had got as far away away as he possibly could from his fellow men without actually retreating into the woods when he founded his homestead. Green Gables was built at the furthest edge of this cleared land, and there it was to this day, barely visible from the main road along which all other Avalie houses were so socially situated. Mrs. Rachel Lynn did not call living in such a place living at all. It's just staying, that's what it is. She said as she stepped along the deep-rutted grassy lane bordered with wild rose bushes. It's no wonder Matthew and Marilla are both a little odd, living away back here by themselves. Trees aren't much company, though dear knows that if they were, there'd be plenty enough of them. I'd rather look at people. To be sure, they seem contented enough, but then, I suppose, they're used to it. The body can get used to anything, even to being hanged, as the Irishman said. With this, Mrs. Rachel stepped out of the lane into the backyard of Green Gables. Very green and neat and precise was the yard, set about on one side with great patriarchal willows and the other with prim laburndies. Not a stray stick or stone was to be seen, for Mrs. Rachel would have seen it if it had been there. Privately, she was of the opinion that Marilla Cuthbert swept the yard over as often as she swept her house. One could have eaten a meal off the ground without overbrimming the parochial peck of dirt. Mrs. Rachel rapped smartly at the kitchen door and stepped into the bidden to do so. The kitchen at Green Gables was a cheerful apartment, or would have been cheerful if it had not been so painfully clean as to give it something of the appearance of an unused parlor. Its windows looked east and west, through the west one looking out on the backyard came a flood of mellow June sunlight, but the east one once you got a glimpse of the bloom-white cherry trees in the left orchard and nodding slender birches down into the hollow by the brook, was greened over by a tangle of vines. Here sat Marilla Cuthbert when she sat at all, always slightly distrustful of sunshine, which seemed to do her too dancing and irresponsible a thing of a world which was meant to be taken seriously. And here she sat now, knitting, and the table behind her was laid for supper. Thanks for joining me for this first portion of Anne of Green Gables. Have a good sleep. <laughs>